This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. I'm Alistair Roberts. I'm the Rappaport Professor of Law and Public Policy here at Suffolk University Law School, and this is the Rappaport Center Public Policy Podcast Series. And our guest today is Michael Lukoski. Michael is a senior fellow at New York University's Institute for Public Knowledge. He's a widely regarded expert and consultant to organizations like the United Nations and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. He's also a prolific author, and we're here to talk today about his new book from Cambridge University Press, Obama's Bank, Financing a Durable New Deal. Michael, welcome, and could you tell me a bit about what your book is aiming to do? Sure, pleasure to be speaking with you. Yeah, the book aims to explain really a couple things. One is the proposals on the table right now to establish a national infrastructure bank that would essentially find ways of dealing with a large infrastructure and energy shortfall in the country that impedes our ability to guarantee economic opportunity for large parts of our citizens and impedes our growth as a result. And it traces the history of the infrastructure bank idea back into the democratic party and the Republican Party, too, and it also gives some sort of insight, hopefully, into President Obama's economic philosophy more broadly. Michael, people sometimes talk about an infrastructure crisis in the country, and I'm wondering, sort of in plain language, what does that mean, and would you say there actually is a crisis? People use it usually to talk about that the country has crumbling bridges, has broken levees, large amounts of unsafe drinking water, and tie that into the fact that there's much less money to address those challenges than, in particularly within a debt crisis, than is necessary. Um, I'd say that's part of the crisis. The other part of the crisis is a public policy crisis, that we um, have a crisis that results from decades of divestiture from the country's infrastructure and energy, and that we don't really have a way of addressing what is a intermodal cross-cutting crisis within infrastructure. We do it instead through the Department of Transportation does transportation, the Department of Energy does energy, the EPA does water, and we have a crisis as a result that we have very siloed off thinking and we're trying to solve a problem that transportation, water, and energy are highly connected with one another. So if one of these bank proposals goes forward, I mean, many of us uh, think that the federal government, our common sense impression would be the federal government's already active in, in, in supporting infrastructure, providing money for infrastructure. For example, that seemed to be what the stimulus program was all about. Can you maybe just explain a bit about how the world would look different if there was a national infrastructure bank? Yeah. The infrastructure bank is part of a broader approach, but a very different way of looking at how we invest in infrastructure and energy. Rather than thinking about investing in infrastructure energy in a way that's directive, that agencies or the federal government gives a clear indication to states and localities what they're supposed to do and provides them grants in the form of formulas or earmarks in order to do it, this is a completely different way of approaching the problem. It's instead saying that, listen, states, localities, why don't you come to us with what you think needs to be done, and we'll sort out together how that can be addressed with the most minimum role that the federal agency can possibly play in it. Um, So it's a catalytic, not a directive role. The classic situation would be a project comes to the bank and they say, we really need this, we're all ready to go, this is going to increase our ability to deliver, say, clean drinking water, but there's too much risk. We're having a really hard time closing the deal. The private sector thinks it's too risky to put the money 
and it's profitable but for that. So the federal government might just provide a, a mild loan guarantee for that early stage construction rich to bridge it and get the project going. One of your key themes here is that this bank would, would not just provide loans to state and local governments so they can do the projects themselves, but that they would rely on public-private partnerships, getting the private sector involved in actually executing these long-term projects. Is that right? And, and what's the particular advantage of going with the, the, the public-private partnership model? It's a good question. So the, the bank's on the table. So let's take the Senate Bank, for instance. It doesn't say that there have to be public-private partnerships. It says that it can be a whole range of different types of projects. What they want, essentially, and the President's proposal as well as along these lines, is that they want government agencies or those who, you know, the public who's interested in and needs the infrastructure to leverage private capital and private participation to the greatest extent possible while still aligning it and advancing the public interest. And so one way of doing that is through public-private partnerships, which would be a greater equity participation in the projects over their lifetime, but it's not the only uh, the only way under the Act. And the advantage of the private equity participation, I'd say mainly today in the immediate term, is that the municipal bond market is close to falling off the cliff when it comes down to the long end of the market, so really long-term bonds. And this patient capital will buttress it up at the long end. If we have long-term projects, it will allow us to bring in money that's synced into that that class of long-term um, projects that will match make between the money and the and the projects we need. Michael, you're down in Washington quite a bit right now, mm-hmm. and you're uh, working with uh, folks in Capitol Hill in terms of thinking about how to draft a bill. What do you think are going to be the the two or three big challenges that you have to address in order to get the bill through the legislative process and, mm-hmm. and into practice? Yeah, that's a very good question. So the first challenge is how to coalesce bipartisan consensus in today's political climate, even in an area where Republicans and Democrats, as a policy matter, by and large agree on what's on the table. Um, so that's one question, is how to work out that public politics aspect. I think the second biggest challenge is to make sure that the legislation as it goes forward, and there's a lot of energy that's been put into this to date, that it's not just legislation for the metropolitan areas. So it doesn't leave out the mountain states. So if you look at the states that benefit from innovative transportation investment, it's about 7 to 12 states. So you can't have a national bank for 7 to 12 states. So I think that that's the second biggest challenge, is how to make sure that you benefit all, that you address real needs in different parts, but you can address it in a way that's you're not giving money to certain places for projects that don't need it. So it may be some places need water, some places need energy, some places need a lot more transportation. So that's, I think, the second challenge, which is related to the first, because it's a political question at the end of the day, too. The third challenge relates to the states and localities. Under this approach, the states and localities have a greater role to play in how infrastructure gets financed and carried out than under the current way of doing things. And with that greater responsibility, and we're dealing with complex transactions, requires greater investment in public agencies and public capacity to assess, oversee, and structure deals. And in a difficult financial climate, we're spending much more time on the need to cut public agencies rather than the need to buttress their expertise. And so I think there's a very strong need in whether each bank proposal has a best practices unit in it to do to start to address that. But I think the biggest challenge is if the thing comes online, the third challenge rather is that it has to be used in a way that states and localities recognize that they have to take the job seriously of 
structuring projects under a, a changed landscape, and it brings opportunities in terms of availability of capital, but it also increases the responsibility on public agencies to do things that draft contracts effectively, deal with complex commercial transactions where the public side's involved, and we just are not geared not only in the commercial and government world at doing this, but we also have to work in terms of law schools, I think, as well, in terms of how we teach administrative law. We have to start teaching public contracts at more law schools these days, those sorts of things. The types of commercial sophistication that we deal with our complex private transactions, we have to move that into the public side, I think, increasingly. Well, Michael, your book, Obama's Bank, Financing a Durable New Deal, it's out from Cambridge University Press and just came out, uh, I think, was it earlier this year? Um, right around Labor Day, yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a great read and it's a great background on this, uh, this really intriguing idea. So thanks very much for talking with us today. I appreciate the opportunity. Great. Thanks. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.